roads and takers of roads less travelers and takers of roads less travelers and takers of roads less travelers. My guest today represents many intersections as an ethnic and racial minority man who works in a profession uh, in a field where any of the aforementioned descriptions would make him unique. Uh, Ishmael Paz is from the Mescalero Apache Reservation in Mescalero, New Mexico. He is a child protective services and uh, abuse investigator. Uh, there's more to him, though, and we hope to learn a lot more about that in today's episode of the Square Peg Podcast. Uh, Ish, welcome to the show. Thank, thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. That we're very at the very beginning. Did I get anything wrong yet? Nope, nope. Got okay. the got the basics. <laughs> you're a man. You're a racial and ethnic minority. Uh, you work. A, what actually is your is your title? Uh, so I I am an investigator with uh, Children, Youth, and Families Department, and that's uh, with Child Protective Services. Okay. So and of course we're gonna get um, we're gonna get to that. Um, but you have uh, actually the really interesting distinction. Everybody talks about well my family is this or my family is that or. You know, I've known people who claim to be uh, proud to be, well, we're the daughters of the American Revolution or we're sons of the American Revolution. My family, my family came over on the, the, the Mayflower, so we've been here for 400 years. Um, you have a distinction of knowing that your family has been in North America for probably 13,000 plus. Yep, yep. We're still here. <laughs> and you guys are still here. Um, now, I, I will tell you, uh, growing up 13 miles from the White House, in Northern Virginia, the D.C. area is extremely culturally diverse. I really felt when I moved out here in 1998 after I graduated college, I felt like I'd pretty much been exposed to everything that was to be exposed to culturally. Uh, most definitely as somebody from every continent, and I, I'm pretty safe saying I have known somebody or have gone to school with somebody or worked with somebody who's from almost every country in the world. The one thing I hadn't been exposed to is uh, Native American culture, people right. who are Native American. And when I moved out here, uh, I did have an experience, maybe we'll talk about later, that really showed me how much I didn't know or, or really pointed out the fact. Um, Mescalero Apache. Real basic. The right. Apache is the bigger right. Mescalero. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. So definitely, I mean, just geographic-wise, I mean, you know, Mescalero is located right next to Rudoso. Um, they are, you know, we are the one of many Apache tribes in the United States. Um, the Mescalero tribe does have three separate bands which make up the Mescalero tribe, which are the um, the Mescalero, the Lapan, and also Chiricahua. Um, and a lot of people don't really understand or know just the ge geographic um, like field that we were a part of. I mean, prior to what the reservation boundaries are today, what they're much more different back then. So this this area covered all the way from, you know, where Mescalero is today, all the way down south to the Guadalupe um, Mountains over there at the National Park, um, further parts into Mexico, and even Arizona. And of course, this was all before United States, you know, became a state before 1912. I mean, where New Mexico became a state. I mean, there's just so much more where where our people you know um moved before then and not too many people understand that now is is uh your knowledge of your 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 people's history um more a result of study or is there more of an oral tradition i would say more of oral tradition you know understanding the information passed down from from relatives and whatnot um definitely i was not aware of what i am aware of today when I was going growing up in school. So that's not a thing, never was a thing, isn't a thing. Um, 
I do know the Mescalero Apache schools right now, they do try to work on, you know, teaching that. But when I was growing up, um, for example, I went to school in uh, Ridoso, and it was just not something part of that that's a part of the curriculum. Okay, now I, I was going to ask you about that. You you did grow you grew up completely on Mescalero on the reservation, right? Yep, grew up, grew up in Mescalero on the reservation, um, which is between Ridoso and Tularosa. Um, grew up on the reservation, you know, lived that life for for my whole childhood. Um, we did go to school in Ridoso. You know, at that time the the education was better. Um, when I was growing up. Nowadays, I feel like the Mescalero School is much more um, better, and I feel like they've progressed since then where um, there's a lot of people actually remaining in the Mescalero Schools. Now, I've actually never spent any time. uh, The only time I can say I've actually been on uh, the reservation, I want to say maybe 10 years ago because my oldest was very young, um, there was a parade, and I want to say 4th of July. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, definitely big 4th of July celebration. So... So that's the only time I've ever spent, but but anybody who's ever driven that, U.S. Highway 70 um, between Tularosa and, and Rudoso cuts through the reservation. Right. Um, but I haven't ventured off. Is it, describe for me, is it like, and, and this may sound like a really naive question, but is it like a downtown? Is there a, is it like a, a typical U.S. city where there are residential areas and... So, so I would, commercial areas. So I would say definitely um, there's a h- whole lot more where, where people don't um, get to see. Um, of course, you do get to see the main aspects when you are driving through the highway. Um, so you'll, you'll be able to see the, you know, the first set of gas station right there by the, uh, the main big rock church, the Catholic church. You know, very, you know, people. There's stop two by. of them, right? There's the right. big one and then there's the smaller one. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, definitely the Catholic church, you know, much more bigger. Um, a lot of people take pictures. Um, also, you know, you'll be driving through, um, passing, um, the, uh, travel center, which has, um, one of the casinos. Um, so other than that, other than pe- what, what you would get from the highway driving through, you're not going to be able to see what Mescalero actually is. So, um, regarding like downtown, I would say the closest thing to thing to downtown would be the first gas station by the, by the church I was just talking about. But there's just so much more out there that is, like, just filled with nature. I mean, um, beautiful sights. I mean, everyone, you know, takes pictures of the of the Sierra Blanca Mountain when you're coming down Highway 70. Um, but there's much more better views on the reservation um, where non-residents wouldn't be able to travel because only tribal members can travel off or in the reservation. Um, but yeah, there's there's so much more to see, much more better views. I mean, it, it's crazy. That's what I was going to ask. If I were to turn off onto some road at one at some point, would I get somewhere where somebody would stop me, and there would be a checkpoint, you will, or if you will, I, I wouldn't necessarily say checkpoint, but there are signs when you do venture off. Um, they do say, you know, um, tribal residents only. Um, so that that's something I always try to tell people. But of course, these signs are very small. They're next to the road, and most of the time, they're not people are not looking for these signs. They're looking at the nature and stuff like that. So it's very easy for someone to venture off if they were going to like the end of the mountain gods. I mean, that's where I grew up. I grew up maybe, maybe five, 10 minutes from, from there, um, closer, um, but off the reservation. Like now for our listeners, the end of the mountain gods is a humongous casino and, and resort. Um, I've been there. We, we did one Thanksgiving many years ago and we, we went to the buffet, um, but it's definitely um, to stay there for a night is definitely out of my uh, 
out of my comfort level and my price range. But um, now you mentioned, that's funny, you mentioned the travel center and, and, and anybody who's driven through uh, Highway 7 up to Rio Doso knows it. That's relatively new, isn't it? I mean, 10, 15 years? Right, right, right. Relatively okay. new. Um, I do know um, the Inn of Mountain Gotch right now is, is a little bit older than that, but of course they, they did do a big renovation in the early 2000s. And one thing I try to tell my friends and, you know, tell tell the people that I know that are um, not from Mescalero, I always try to tell them that the end of the Mountain Gods is in Mescalero. It's not in Ridoso. So that's always one thing I try to clarify, even though, of course, I mean, you know, tomato, tomato wouldn't really matter to them, but I always take pride with that enterprise. And that's I, ours. Yeah. That's exactly. not yours. <laughs> exactly. It's not, it's not Ridoso's. It's, 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 it's us. It's ours and it belongs to, to right. our people. Now, one thing that was kind of new to me when I moved out here was the open enrollment. Uh, of schools where I'm from, if you didn't want to go to the school that your geographic area was supposed to go to, your parents had to move. Right. Um, here, here in Las Cruces, and I would imagine throughout the state, because it's a state thing, you can, as long as there's room for you, you can go to whatever high school because you like the football coach or you like, di- right. I know different schools have different magnet type programs. What was, was there any issue with you from, you know, living on Mescalero land, which is a sovereign nation? going to school in Rio So obviously you did it, but what was the process? So there was not a big process to it. I mean, it, it goes down to like what you're talking about, like do they have room available? Um, I do, like when, 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 you, when you're in Mescalero, you either go to one of those three schools. Um, where I lived, I had cousins that lived down the street and they went to Tularosa. It's more so of a decision on where you want to get your education. Um, so when we were growing up, I... I you know, I, I made the decision to go to Ridoso just because of the education system. And that's where I went, um, you know, K through 12. So I had a lot of friends there. Um, but there were times where I, I thought about going to Tularosa. And if I did make that choice, that wouldn't be a uh, an issue. Why did you decide to go to, to schools, not to not go to the Mescalero schools? At that point, the I feel like the education was was not just there, like the best that it could be. Um, today that's a whole different story. Um, just to put things into perspective, like their first graduating class was around like 1999 or 2000. So, um, of course, you know I was in kindergarten around 2000. So that that says a lot right there. So um, I know at that point it was very hard to you know get teachers to go there and just the overall development of the school. Uh, but nowadays, I I would not say anything bad about the schools in Mescalero. I mean they have so many programs. Um, they have um, different sports teams. I mean, they have a robotics team. Um, my little sister goes there, um, and I, I feel very proud that I mean she's able to get a good ex- education in Mescalero. Now, you also, um, I think we talked before. One of the you, you mentioned playing sports, and there's probably a benefit to oh, going yeah. to school in Rio. So, what sports were you in? So, um, I played football and basketball and baseball. Um, when I got to high school, I only played football and basketball. Um, but the sports is a huge thing to the youth and, and the native youth in Mescalero just because, I mean, there's not much to do out there. I mean, um, it kind of keeps you out of trouble, kind of. Um, I tell people the sports were a big benefit for me because it put my mind to, you know, to work to work towards something. Um, the only reason I wanted to get passing grades was so that I could play sports. I mean, that that's how important it was. If, if sports was not a thing for me, I mean, I probably would, wouldn't have no motivation to, you know, get any passing grades or anything like that. I, I was not the best student, um, K through 12. And I, I think I remember in high school, I always got my best grades during football season. 
Because mm-hmm. if the if the interims came out and you didn't have good grades, there was always the possibility that you weren't going to be able to play. You know, one of the things I've noticed is um, I can't do it anymore because of all kinds of injuries. I used to be a runner, ran half marathons. I know that I am very susceptible to the differences in elevation. Right. And having grown up pretty much close to sea level, when I moved out here, I moved to Silver City. And I remember... It was especially difficult because I had surgery about about three months before that. I didn't get cleared to run until six weeks before. And then going from sea level to 6,000 feet, Yeah, I know that when I came home from my first break, I took 10 minutes off my five-mile time. I would imagine that uh, – now, of course, the sports you listed aren't, aren't you know endurance sports as they weren't runners. I would always imagine that the students, the kids from, from Cloudcroft and Ridoso and Taos probably smoked everybody in the cross country. <laughs> and There are some good runners, and the elevation does help. Um, I didn't really understand, you know, I, I didn't really take that into effect. Like I couldn't um, put that into perspective for myself until I moved to Las Cruces and, you know, I, I went back home for a few, you know, summer league tournaments and stuff like that. And that's when you're actually able to realize that it does play a factor. Um, and I do know, you know, just, just the N- Native American people, I mean, they, they're good runners. I mean, that, that's something that's, that's kind of in their DNA and it, it kind of helps out just the, the whole situation. I didn't. I actually didn't realize that, but you made me think of something. When when I was a kid, my dad uh, made us. When I say made us, he, my parents, my dad always had a reason for having us watch whatever we watched. But there was a movie called Running Brave. Have you heard of Billy Mills? Oh yeah, Billy Mills, big iconic figure in the right. Native American culture. <laughs> now he was Sue, and I think he was from Iowa, right? Right. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's really only that's my only frame of reference. But when you mentioned, and there was actually a book. A cut not too many years ago called uh, Running Free, or right. and it was bare, these barefoot runners right. in in Mexico or in, in Central America okay. who were indigenous peoples. Yeah, um, and their whole thing was you know about about running barefoot. But um, in any case, you graduated high school and you ended up coming down here to school at NMSU, right? No, 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 no. So I actually went to school in Albuquerque at uh, the University of New Mexico at UNM. I didn't know that. I yeah, thought yeah. you were a good guy. I thought you were an Aggie. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I am a good guy. I went to UNM. You know, I'm a Lobo. Uh, I went there right when I was 17, uh, the first semester after I graduated high school. I went there, you know, straight straight out, out of graduation. Uh, I was lucky to get in and get out within four years, got my bachelor's in four years. So I did live in Albuquerque and you know, Albuquerque is a is a different environment today. It's a different environment when I was living in Albuquerque, which was from, you know, 2013 to 2017. And, um, I mean, that, that was a whole culture change, a big learning experience for me. And that was something that, you know, I had to take on my own because, I mean, people, not a lot of people move from Mescalero. And when they do move, not a lot of people stay where they're at. So, that was something that that was really, you know, um, eye turning and, and something that was that tested me. And, and that was uh, a, a big, you know, understanding and put things into perspective on how the outer world looks versus just the reservation. Yeah. Now, did you uh, how many how many people from your high school class went to ended up going away to college? So I actually did have a lot from the Redoso, Redoso High School graduating class because there was a lot of smart people over there. Um, but looking back at, you know. Um, kids and and friends and cousins that I know around my age um, from Mescalero, not that many have have gone to college. Um, there is some, a few, you know. Yeah. But it, it's 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 very small. Now, in your family, did your parents go? Um, let me see. So, the only one that would have anything related to like the college experience would be my grandmother. Okay. Um, but yeah, my mom, no. Um, my my dad, who 
Well, my biological dad, who's who's not in the picture my whole life, uh, he didn't go to college, so that's a whole nother story. And then, um, you know, just with my mom, I mean, she was a, a teenage mother. She had me when she was 16, and uh, she, had, she had to make a lot of sacrifices, which didn't allow her to go to school. So I really appreciate, you know, what she was able to do for me, and, you know, that that's something that, that's very big for me. Yeah, how did you, so how did you settle on UNM? So to be honest, um, I, I, I did, you know, send out applications to the local colleges, you know, NMSU, UNM, you know, smaller ones like Western and um, Highlands and stuff like that. So I, uh, I, I got accepted to all of the schools, um, but I wanted to go to Albuquerque because Albuquerque was a bigger city. Um, and then growing up, we would always be, in Las Cruces or El Paso, you know, for vacation and stuff like that. I always tell people, you know, people leave Las Cruces and Albuquerque to go to Redoso, as vice versa for us, where we leave Mescalero to go to El Paso, Las Cruces, or Albuquerque. Um, and at that point, you know, I, I wanted something bigger. I wanted the bigger city. I wanted to do more stuff. So that that's why I chose Albuquerque. Now, what did you did you know what you wanted to study before you went there? To be honest, uh, no. I I remember changing my my degree a few times, like two or three times. Um, to be honest, like I didn't even think it was actually going to happen. I just remember um, my my senior year, we had did this assignment where we would submit some applications to some schools. I ended up getting accepted, and then it it wasn't a reality until you know two weeks. It was time time to go. You're talking about your senior year in high school. Yeah, yeah. And then summer, you know, summer came and then two weeks before the semester started, it's like, okay, well, this is happening. This is a real a real thing because um a good benefit is is that um when when I graduated there was a uh, a scholarship through the tribe that did help, you know, with expenses and and stuff like that. Of course you had to maintain your your, your GPA every semester. And um once I completed that in the summer prior to leaving, that's where I was like, Okay, this is happening this this is a big did you thing. qualify for the lottery scholarship too i did um so that did help out somewhat but i would say most of my support was from um the the tribe and they did help out tons and the good thing is it started off as a loan you know you would get an x amount of dollars every semester but once you graduate within five years um that loan pretty much can't is like canceled and you don't have to pay anything back okay so it, it's it's a, a win-win did you what, what did you end up majoring in? I actually majored in um, criminology. Um, they don't have criminal justice in Albuquerque. Um, yeah, so I majored in criminology. Um, once I graduated, I was very close to staying in Albuquerque and um, you know applying with APD because at that time um, and still today, you know they they still have their hiring needs. But at that time, I that, that was something I wanted to do. Um, I did do an internship with Rio Rancho PD for like one or two semesters. Um, and I really liked the Rio Rancho area, the Albuquerque area, and I did, you know, enjoy the ride-alongs and everything that I did see. So when I graduated college, I was like, okay, I'm more than likely probably going to be a law enforcement officer. And so it's interesting that you mentioned, and I knew this, I didn't know that UNM did not have a criminal justice program. I did know that they had criminology, right? which I, my understanding has always been that criminology of the two is the more, and I'm going to air quote, more academic. Correct. It is kind of like a subspecialty of sociology, right? More, yes. a lot more theory, a lot more theory, um, lots of sociology theories, and that's one thing that I did not like at the time being. And at that at that moment, I, I wish I did, you know, go to a different school that did have, you know, criminal justice where I could learn something more so. In uh, that would be 
you know, relative regarding a career choice. So, um, well, I can tell you as somebody who's been on the job almost 25 years and who has my degrees in history, I can tell you without a doubt, you are much better off with the criminology. You got a 10 times better education that you would get. Look, I know a lot of tons of very smart, very well-educated people with CJ degrees, but I've always felt if you're going to invest the time and the money, right. You're going to get a much better education than something else. And I, I, I really dig criminology, and I like social theory. Right. Um, when I first moved to Las Cruces in 99, the following year, I actually started a, uh, a master's program in sociology. Oh, nice. And the, the NMSU was good enough to admit me without having you know my undergraduate degrees in history, but they made me take their three core undergraduate classes, which was a statistics, a research methods, and a social theory. Gotcha. And I, I really dug the social theory. Yeah, Max Weber and Emil Durkheim and Marx. Oh, yeah. That I geeked the hell out on that stuff. I, that to me was was really amazing. Yeah, those names ring a lot of a lot of bells. A lot of studying bring, and bring stuff. back like, memories. Yeah, d- definitely lots of memories. And the good thing is, I did have one professor. Um, he he did you know he he taught us a lot of um, statistics and you know recidivism and stuff like that. But the best thing was is that he was using examples from the Albuquerque area because of Albuquerque's crime rate. Um, they have crime in Albuquerque, <laughs> and then um, you know, at that point, I mean, it was something. It was something nice to see, and it, and it helped out with the with the um, just the perspective. Now, the U- University of New Mexico and New Mexico State obviously are the two large traditional state universities here, and I would imagine on either on either campus, you're going to have an opportunity to. Uh, to, to at least be exposed to other people from a similar background, other other native peoples. Um, I want to I want to say just for ge- geographical purposes, UNM probably more more Native Americans or not. I, I would say yes, just because it, it's you know it's the northern part of the state. Um, a lot of a lot of kids do come from the Four Corners area, and of course the Navajo Nation um, enters the New Mexico northern part of the state. So definitely, um, what I did to stay out of trouble was I, I played a lot of basketball. And I I did see a lot of native people playing basketball at the time, and it's nice to see. Did that play into your to your decision to go to UNM? It, okay, at least I've lived on the reservation my whole life. I'm going to be away from home. At least there's going to be some sort of comfort zone. To be honest, um, it really didn't because I didn't understand like how many you know other native youth would actually be going to school. Only because there was a small handful that I that I knew of that would be going to school. Um, but once, you know, I, I got exposed to them and, you know, found out we we're in the same area, you know, same, same, uh, you know, um, location at that time being, but, you know, have to have another person from a different tribe. It's like, it, it's, it's some, some way motivating. I mean, it makes you feel good to be there. Now that's, I, I, I was, what I'm really interested in is I know that it's kind of a joke. Um, you know, where I grew up, I had a lot of friends who were Asian and, and, and they, a lot of my friends could say, look, I'm Korean, but I can tell Korean from a from Vietnamese and Japanese, right. um, are you able to pick out? I oh, mean, yeah. most there's there's Mescalero, Navajo Nation, Zuni. What are some of the other? Those are the big ones in New Mexico. Yeah, those are the big ones for sure. And um, it, it's kind of hard to to identify specifically like what tribe they're from, but definitely I'm able to notify or I'm able to notice another native when I see another native. Like I, I tell my friends all the time, natives notice other natives. I mean, yeah. there's not there's sometimes there's not a introduction between one another but you know you'll see jelly you kind of there's this awkward you know like a head nod of understanding like oh hey you know there's this person that i don't know but yeah they're native (laughs) no i think it's pretty it's a little bit more obvious to notice by someone's appearance but 
Do you find that um, you can tell by just the way somebody carries themselves or their manners or their energy? Definitely. Only because, like, just, you know, in a lot of Native American tribes and, you know, um, respect is a big thing. And, you know, just the way they carry themselves. Um, Of course, it's easier easier to tell, you know, with the face um, or even, like, you know, some long, long hair and stuff like that. Um, and I, I do know, like when you speak to someone a lot of times, you know, like in our culture, um, respect is such a big thing, like where we, uh, you know, we, we're taught not to look into the elder's eyes or the, the, you know, the person, you know, that we're showing respect to. So that did play into, I mean, that plays a pa- factor now because I know for work, sometimes I'll be, you know, I'll be talking to someone, you know, for employment reasons, but you know, I won't be looking at them, but that's just what yeah. we were brought up on. That, and that's just that how is, we so I wanted to talk about that. I, I alluded to it earlier. So I told you, you know, I grew up in the East Coast. I've been in, uh, exposed to all these cultures. I moved to New Mexico. And of course, I moved to the part of the state where there's not a lot of natives. Many years ago, I want to say 20 years ago, I had an interaction with somebody at work and she was avoiding eye contact with me. And in, 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 in my work and the type of case I was working on at the time, Somebody avoiding eye contact with you is a is a dead giveaway that they're trying. They don't want they don't want you to see their eyes. Right. And it wasn't until a defense attorney started asking me, "Well, where are you from? And how long have you been here? And did you know?" And this young lady was from Navajo Nation. And did you know that her avoiding eye contact with you was a, was because she you're a you're a, a authority figure. Right. And boy, I, you want to talk about getting smacked in the face with something that you didn't know. And I recently had an experience. Um, you know, on the side, you know, what my, what I do for my, my main job, but on the side, I work for the state athletic commission, um, working in boxing and, and mixed martial arts. And, and I worked, uh, in Rio, believe it or not in Rio Doso, Rio Doso Downs, okay. um, a boxing card with a young man who's actually making his pro debut. Uh, he was from Navajo nation. He was a real nice kid, but I'm talking to him and I noticed that he wouldn't, wouldn't look at me in the, in yep. the eye. And it's just a, it's just a weird thing. It's one of those things that I, I can't put my finger on of all the different cultures I've been exposed to. That's almost the the one that is the most stark, like obvious. You notice it right away. Right, right, yeah. The eye contact definitely is a big thing, and also um, another thing is like pointing. So you know, we'll we'll use other parts of our body to point, but the mouth, yeah, mouth. You know that that's you know that goes back to some you know Native American jokes and stuff like that. But yeah, no, the just the eye contact. I mean, it's a big thing, and that's something that I really struggled with because. You know, putting into perspective when I go to school or even like into the to the work area, um, you know, that's something I had to work on because I noticed I, I wouldn't do that on a on a regular basis where I would look into the eyes of a person. So that that's that was such a learning point for me. And, you know, something I've noticed about you and, 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 and again, I have very limited exposure, but um, even the men I've noticed in Native American culture tend to have a more uh, I don't want to use the word passive, but. Kind of a quiet energy. Oh yeah, definitely. And you, you, you're out there. You're just, you're, you know, you seem to. And I don't know if it's you've changed or, but that's one thing I notice. It's very different about you. You're, you know, you present differently. You're a physically fit. I mean, I've run into you in the gym. You're, you're a big physical guy. You've got the tattoos, and you, you present in such a way that there's a, there's a different energy about you than, than I think that I've noticed uh, with, with a lot of other people. But I want to move on to. You end up getting your. And I'm I'm impressed. I'm jealous of anybody who's able to to graduate college in four years because it took me took me five and a half. But so you graduated. But how did you end up in Las Cruces? And how did you end up choosing to work uh, in the line of work that you're in? So, I uh, you know I graduated four years. Very blessed to to make that happen. Um, even more so with the tribe helping out with the with the scholarship. You know, graduating with no debt is always a a, a plus. 
Um, but yeah, like I said, I was I was graduating, and at that time I was looking into APD. Um, you know, lots of, lots of stuff going on during the 2016-2017 year. Um, and you know, at that point, my grandma, you know, my grandma was very sick. You know, my grandma was one of the uh, key figures in my life. You know, that's always been there and 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 you know helped raise me. And so she was sick. And um, at the time, my girlfriend, um, she was going to um, the uh, NMSU campus down here in Las Cruces. And, you know, I, I kind of want at that time, I wanted to get out of Albuquerque. I wanted something new. Um, I didn't want to go back to Mescalero just yet. But, um, you know, I wanted something bigger. So I, I decided, you know, Las Cruces would be a would be a good place. And Las Cruces is very quiet. And the good thing is, you know, it's it's an hour and a half away from home at most. And so you talk about your girlfriend. Is this a high school sweetheart that you guys went to different schools or? Um, I wouldn't say high school sweetheart, but definitely we went to the same school growing up. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of something that just happened after or, or during college. But yeah, no, and definitely like during college, I mean, I would travel back to Mescalero a lot, almost, you know, every weekend my first year I was there just because of um, it's hard being it's hard being away from your family, especially Growing up, you know, your family is all that you have. That that was such a big thing for me, and I hated going back to school Sunday <laughs> night, driving at 5 o'clock, getting back to Albuquerque, you know, 8 o'clock at night. That was something that, you know, I, I really um, had to had to deal with at that time. Now, so you moved down here for love. How did you end up working for the state and the Children, Youth, and Families Department? So, you know, of course, you know, the job market down here or anywhere with a degree, you know, it's very hard, especially when you have a degree in criminology. Um you know, so I graduated. I was looking for a job. I was out of a, a of a work um, or even a job that was related to my degree. You know, I did some small stuff part time during that meantime, um, but it was just very difficult to get a job down here in Las Cruces, especially when, um, you know, I, I interned with the uh, Rio Rancho Police Department, and it's like that 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 only goes so far. Like they they say it's true. Like you know, it's all about who you know and. Just regarding your experience, you know, so I didn't really know too many people here in Cruces, and I also didn't have any experiment, experience per se. Um, so I, I did put in a round, and, and uh, I was in the process of, you know, actually getting hired with um, DASO, with the sheriff's office. And, um, you know, I, I completed their steps. The only last step that I had was the oral board interview. So that was my last step. I get a call back from CYFD. Uh, like the week before, like, hey, you got an interview. And, you know, at that point, I, I really wanted to be a sheriff with Dasso. But I was also thinking, you know, I, I got to take the first job that pops up. I mean, regardless of my situation, because at that point, I was so desperate for work. <laughs> I was telling my girlfriend, like, I'm taking the first one that, that comes across the table. Like, that that's what it's going to be. And that's kind of how it happened. That's interesting you say that, because I literally just yesterday was I was teaching the, the academy. And I was asking the guys, like, you apply a whole bunch of places or was this and i said that it's there are so many hoops to jump through getting into law enforcement that usually you put a couple out and the first person to say hey we got an academy date for you that's where you go right um so you you put it in uh you got interviewed and, and so you end up working um now did you apply specifically for child protective services investigator or was it more a general with children youth and families so my first position with child protective services was um called a permanency planning worker and that pretty much is where you know you work with the family after a a, a child enters custody. Uh, so so I, I applied for that only because it was a uh, you know it was your your, your um, entry level type job. So you know I, I was, luckily I was able to get in with that. 
And then, um, you know, I worked, I stayed in that position for two years and then I, I really wanted to do the, uh, investigator side of it because of, I mean, just, just the, you know, the, I would say adventure, you know, you're out every day, you, you know, your, your day is different. I mean, you're walking into these homes, you don't know what you're going to see. And that's what I like about it because I mean, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to stay inside 24 seven at a desk. So now it, so it's funny. Um, I think I probably met you first two, three years ago. And at the time you want to talk about lots of intersections. We kind of, at that time there was a bit of a gold mine because there was you, uh, there was Brandon, uh, and then there was, I don't remember his name, but you have, you have three men right. in a female dominated field. Uh, you're native, Brandon is black and the other man is a, is a Latino. And so it was kind of like again when you're talking about the hitting all the different intersections and getting getting all the different all the different uh, people represented there was kind of a gold mine there. Um tell me as a child abuse and child child protective services investigator from from the first step how does your how does an investigation go? You get a referral, you get a case assigned and I know you have so you have to make contact within a certain amount of time and as you know you and I have worked together right. on on in a dual, you know, we have a multidisciplinary thing. I'm on the law enforcement side. You're on the child protective services. How does it go for you guys? So pretty much, you you know, a report gets made. Uh, the report gets assigned to your county. You end up getting the reports, and you have to make contact with the family based off of the priority priority of the report. Um, and then from there, that's where you make contact with the family, interview the kids, and determine, you know, is this child, you know, safe or unsafe? And that that's kind of determines your case and and you know the the next steps after that um there are some initial cases that are that are called in by law enforcement where we do have to work with them and you know they they you know they may respond to like a welfare check for example and they see something that's that's not right or you know something to say the kid is unsafe you know there's just so many aspects where where something could happen but um the thing i like about it is that every case is different um you know just your interaction with people plays a big part coming back to your people skills um, just with the environment and the the people that are here in Las Cruces, I mean, I think your people skills play a big part in engaging the family. Um, and then, you know, every day is different, and, and that's what I like about it. Do you do you ever, when you do, um, you know, your name sounds very common around here, um, but so when you call somebody at first, they may not draw attention to it. But when you show up at somebody's house or when you meet somebody at the hospital or at La Casa or somewhere like that, do you ever get any double takes or any kind of people are surprised that it's a man? They see uh, uh, a male. You you got tattoos. Uh, you're you're a racial and ethnic minority. Do do people ever get that that real quick like look in their eye like they don't know how to respond? Or so I've I've never noticed that, but I I, I wouldn't doubt if someone did have that you know thought about me. Um, sometimes you know kids you know that that does play a factor when you talk to kids because I mean you're a guy you're a stranger. And, um, you know, you have tattoos, you could look very different than what you are. Yeah. Do you ever, do you get the feeling in talking to your, your female colleagues that you, in, as a general rule, you get a different reception or different reaction from people? I would say sometimes, yes. Um, sometimes it, it, it does help out because, um, you know, sometimes they're very, you know, scared and they, and they, they, uh, they respond better. Um, but I, but I also can say sometimes it does help in certain cases where, you know, you could have some type of rapport with someone, you know, based off of having tattoos. I mean, that sometimes that that that's a positive and that that goes a long way. And you're not just dealing with kids. You're dealing with their parents, too. Right. So and something that that um, we talked about before we, we started today. And uh, there's a 
you know, the, the Child Protective Services referral form, um, many of them go through um, statewide central intake. We call it one 800 number or anybody can make that report. And there are certain boxes that have to be checked. And, right. and one of them on there is, and I think on page two or three, is some question about whether or not the family is uh, Native American affiliated. Right. Um, I can I have a pretty good idea of why that's on there. Right. Um, and it would probably and I'm I'm you tell me if I'm right, if I'm on the right track. If the and then there are times where we have to take children out of a home. There are times where children end up in foster care, and you know in some the smallest number of cases parental rights are are, are terminated and the children are in a foster to adopt situation. I know there are federal laws that deal with placement of and adoption of uh, children who have Native American blood uh, and where they can go. Um, talk, talk a little bit about that because I'm, I'm going to bet you know more about that than I do. Yeah, so I was going to say um, it, it comes down to, you know, if a child is a part of a you know Native American tribe where there's reason to believe that the, the child could be a part of the tribe, um, the case takes a little bit of a different route, um, which goes back to the um, Indian Child Welfare Act, which uh, started in uh, 1978. And pretty much it's like a federal law that governs the removal of Indian children um, from their home. And, you know, pretty much what it comes down to is that it, it it's there to make sure that the Indian children are with an Indian family. Um, you know, so growing up, like I had no idea about this. I had no idea that this existed until I, I came to work um, over here. And, um, you know, just seeing that it kind of makes me feel good inside, you know, where there's something there to help out our people. I mean, to keep our people with our people in. And, you know, family is a big thing, like I said, and it, it's just different. Like growing up on the reservation, there's different aspects to it. And it, it's hard for for one to understand if you if you're not able to see that firsthand. Yeah, and and I listened to a very interesting podcast. There's a very very famous case of a family in Oklahoma where there was a child who entered the foster care system, was adopted, turned out having like 2% native blood. Father was in the military. He the basic story is that he didn't show any interest at first and it was a long drawn out legal and it's you it really obviously tugs at your heart. Um but have you ever had the opportunity uh, in your in your work? Have you ever had a case with people of native? Um, I have worked with you know native families, but um, I, I've never gone to that extent of removal of a, of an Indian child, so I haven't done that yet. Um, but going back to the act, I mean, I, I can see how it could be an issue for uh, Indian child to be removed from a home and be to and to be put in a foster home that has no idea about their culture has no idea about their tribe has no idea about their practices um because you know growing up that's something i have you know been a part of i have seen and it's something you know we take very serious and um you know i've put myself into those shoes before and i always thought about what if i was ever in that position how would i deal with not being uh, with not being exposed to the, to the culture i mean right and unfortunately we you know needless to say there's a very ugly history in the united states and in the americas but um, there, there were, there were unfortunately practices of trying to make, trying to civilize, right. uh, you know, native, make them white. And, and, and that's obviously, I'm going to guess that was the, the reason that we have the Indian Child Welfare Act. Now, um, your family's reaction to what you do, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't, obviously it would be completely incorrect to say old world culture, but more traditional cultures. Right. Uh, what you're doing is not a very, not associated with what a man does or very, 
Right. You know what? What's what was the the reaction of your family and your male male cousins and uncles and um, you get teased or, or what, what's the reaction? I would say no. I, if anything, like my family is very supportive. I mean, so so they're happy. You know, I, I'm you know employed in a city that's not on the reservation, and I'm you know I'm out here. I'm doing my own thing, and you know if anything, you know they're they're happy for me just because I mean, um, a lot of people don't make it out the reservation you know for for various reasons and if anything i mean they they show me that i mean you know of course they would want me to work in mescalero they they would want me to do this in mescalero they 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 would always try to pitch it like oh you want to become a um you should come and work over here you should be a a federal um you know a bia agent or bia officer you can do that on the reservation you know you could live here and you know, they always try to pitch that for me, but um, at the end end of the day, I mean, they're they're kind of very supportive and just happy that I'm out here doing this. Yeah, I could see somebody having a desire to do that, but I also, on, on the other hand, of course, I don't know how how big population wise and geography wise Mescalero is. I know that there is a people do have this belief that that law enforcement officers should live in the communities where they serve. Right, and that's a very that's a very vague term because you know what do you mean by community geographically? Um, it, I, I understand the idea that they think you may be more invested, but at the same time, um, I would like to be able to go to work and do my work, but I would also like to be able to take my kids to a park and not run into the, exactly. the violent felons that I've there's, – so there's there's a double-edged sword, right? Now, right. long-term, I mean, what do you – right now, what do you see? I mean, you're still in your 20s and you're still early in your career. What do you – I mean, do you have any kind of ideas long-term, not only what you uh, what you want to do or where do you want to do it? So um – Right now, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, I want to stay with the state just because, you know, with the benefits and retirement and stuff like that. And, and luckily, I was able to to get hired at, a, at an early age, you know, that, that's looking good down the road. Um, but, you know, there's there's so many jobs with with this with the state of New Mexico. I mean, that that would be open for someone that has a criminal justice or criminology background. So, you know, I've I've thought into, you know, venturing out here soon. Um, I don't know exactly when, I don't have a specific date, but, you know, I've looked at, you know, JPO services, adult um, probation services. I mean, but there's just so much jobs out there that, you know, right now, this is kind of where I'm, I, I'm at. And, and I always tell people I'm, I'm right where I need to be, um, regardless of how I got here and regardless of what didn't happen or what did happen. I mean, I feel like I, I'm always in the right place at the right time. I'm, I'm where I need to be. Now, do you speak any languages other than English? Um. I do know a little bit Apache. I wouldn't say I'm fluent or anything like that. Of course, you know my grandma, my 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 uh, grandfather. They they speak it fluently. They 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 spoke in Apache once. You know they didn't want us to hear what they were talking about. <laughs> so so I you know I do know a few words. I I do know a little bit, but I wouldn't say I'm, I'm fluent. Um, and that goes back. I mean, just to like the education piece. So for example, when I was going to school in Ridoso, you know every high school has your language class. And of course, at that time, you know, we we learned Spanish. Um, nowadays, um, the the tribe tries to keep the Apache language alive and you know keep it going. So my sister actually learns Apache in her Apache class in the Mescalero schools, and she speaks way more than me. Uh, she can say prayers. She can talk to my grandma, um, and this you know also my nephew too, who goes to the school. But I mean, it's something nice to see and it makes me feel good that you know someone's teaching them our language you know as somebody who's kind of on the other end of things as, as far as career-wise you know i've been eligible to retire for about two years and i'm going to stick it out another three for you know millions of reasons you know looking at you i've got about 20 years on you you know on this earth 
you look like you've got you've got a lot. There's so much you can do, and um, you know you you check a lot of boxes. You and and I don't tend to look at it. I say it this way: don't hate the player, hate the game. There are a lot right. of people that might say, "Oh, well, there's only things that are only available to him because he meets this. They need to have one of these or one of those." Right. The way I look at it is, you you bring something to the table that other people don't, and what you have, in a lot of ways, is very much in need. At, with the degree and with your background and right. the language and the culture and the things like that. I mean, it looks to me like you got the world at your, you know what I mean? If, right, right, right. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm here right now, but once something comes up, I mean, when, when I want to move, you know, I think I, I would have no problem doing that. Um, and I and I do know, you know, with CYFD, they're, they're trying to move um, and, and they're very strong on the ICWA aspect um, and the IFPA aspect, which is the, Indian Family Protection Act. So there's some jobs coming up in Albuquerque, and I I wouldn't you know I, I wouldn't um, doubt if that's something I looked at if something came you know available down here in Las Cruces. Right. Well, you know what? We're getting kind of close to the end here. Do you? One thing I like to ask people: Do you, what podcast do you listen to? Um, there's a lot of podcasts. I mean, where do I even start? I mean, I I, I like the sports ones. You know, I like um the uh you know the Up and Smoke podcast with Matt uh, Matt Barnes. I like the Joe Rogan podcast. You know I'm I'm very interested in sports. Um, also, I mean just you know your your um, your uh, your stories regarding you know like alien activity and stuff like that. I mean there's just so much good podcasts out there. And that reminds me, you're now you would be too young for this. There was a guy who used to be on. It was called Coast Coast AM. His name was Art Bell. He broadcast from Nye County uh, in Nevada. He called the it was the Kingdom of Nye. And he had this beautiful announcer's voice, this really deep voice, and his whole show was space, conspiracy theories, right. the supernatural, and like, and I'm talking when I would listen to it. This is before, obviously, before podcasts. I'm talking about early 2000s, right before people were starting to get satellite radio. And I, and I worked overnights for many, many years, and I eventually got satellite radio, but. I listened to uh, I would listen to Art Bell and there, I'm not that stuff is not what I'm into aliens and right. conspiracy theories but it seemed like one night a week he had something that was a little bit more realistic. Um, so it's funny you bring that up because yeah, you can hear some of his old shows you can suit whatever wherever you get your podcasts. But um, it's funny you say that now. Sports teams who are your who are your teams? Um, so definitely my family's a big Dallas Cowboys oh, family. Oh no, um, you know so we're very big on that. Um, going to my name actually, you know it's spelled a little bit different. Um, it's actually, I'm actually named after, um, uh, Rocket Ishmael. Okay. Um, you know, played for Notre Dame, was a receiver in the nineties. I mean, that tells okay. you how much a, of a, of a, you know, diehard so Notre family. D- Notre Dame football fan? Notre Dame football. Well, somewhat actually I'm, I'm Ohio state, but my grandfather, oh. but my, my grandfather, uh, you know, he's a diehard Lakers and Cowboys fan and Notre Dame fan. So he actually named me, he named me after, you know, um, Rocket Ishmael from the nineties. So that's a little two-minute story I always, you know, tell people, you know, oh, where did your name come from or why is it spelled different? And a lot of people think, you know, it's in reference to, like, uh, Moby Dick. But I'm like, yeah, no, my family my, no. family my family, don't read. Like, my family's not about that. It, it's from the Dallas Cowboys. You're killing me here because, number one, you're, you're a Cowboys fan. I grew up in Washington, D.C., so now I'm a, I wish they'd have stayed with Washington football team. I'm a Commanders fan right. now. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, we, won't, we won't talk about them being the Redskins. Um, <laughs> but when you start talking about your college, so the funny story is I have two best friends I've known my whole life, and two of us were actually born in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, wow. But I've been a Michigan fan Oh, gotcha. since I was about six years old, and the other one is a Notre Dame fan. Gotcha. So between the three of us, there's a lot of shit talk, you know, especially last weekend. I, I texted. We have a group text, and I texted gotcha. him last Saturday. I was like, hey, guys, 
I'm a Notre Dame fan today because they're playing Ohio State. And the only thing the only thing worse than being an Alabama Crimson Tide is is a yeah an Ohio State Buckeye. Yeah, anybody than Alabama. I mean, I just I just can't stand them right now. <laughs> Ish, thank you so much for being on. I, I really I've wanted to do this for so long. I'm glad to finally get you on. I, I learned a lot of things today. We don't our paths don't cross as much as you might think. Um, it, it's kind of a, obviously it's a luck of the draw. If you get assigned to a case, and that's one that I get assigned to. Right. We get, we get an opportunity to work together. But um, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enjoyed uh, this episode of the Square Peg Podcast with uh, Ishmael Paz uh, as much as I have. It's, um, I look forward to seeing you next time, and we should have some more episodes coming on Tuesdays this fall. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and thank you for listening to the Square Peg Podcast. Proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo Mike Communications.